Flyers Daily with Jason Mertides. All right, here we go. Flyers Daily for Tuesday, February 15th, as the Flyers get set to take on the Pittsburgh Penguins' last road game before they come home for eight straight at Wells Fargo Center. The game tonight at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, 7 p.m. They'll return home on Thursday to take on the Caps and Carolina, St. Louis, Washington, Edmonton, Minnesota, Chicago, and Vegas. Now, a couple of those teams there. Remember that we just mentioned the St. Louis Blues? And remember that we just mentioned the Minnesota Wild, because we're going to talk about them right now, along with the Colorado Avalanche. Kind of Before we preview the game tonight, let's take a look at the latest news that's out there. And when you look at the NHL, things starting to maybe unclog a bit, as we saw Tyler Toffoli get traded from the Montreal Canadiens to the Calgary Flames. Our old buddy Tyler Pitlick involved in that deal, going back to Montreal uh, as part of the compensation. They also get a couple of picks, a first and a fifth, Heineman and Pitlick to Montreal for Tyler Toffoli. Now, Toffoli a little different because Toffoli has a couple years left on his deal. Very palatable contract, though, uh, just under $5 million. And he's a guy that had a lot of success in Los Angeles with the Kings, played for Daryl Sutter there, who's the coach of Calgary. So it's a reunion of sorts there. And the deal happens a lot earlier than maybe a lot of people thought it would. But Calgary identified a guy they wanted to go get. They paid a, a good price. I don't know if it was a premium. The, the first-round pick is top 10 protected uh, for this year's draft. I mean, Calgary would have to just go absolutely into the toilet for that to be a top 10 pick anyway. Uh, but they get their guy. They get Tyler Toffoli. He'll help. He's a guy that, like I said, had a lot of playoff success in Los Angeles. And obviously last year with the Montreal Canadiens before the wheels fell off the wagon this year. And that starts to set the market, kind of. It doesn't really set the rental market because there's two years after this one on his contract, so there's some term there. But it's also maybe a little bit of a backup plan at the wing position for Calgary if they are to lose Johnny Gaudreau in free agency this summer. So it kind of serves a lot of different purposes for the Calgary Flames. And then we get this news tonight that uh, has coming out uh, regarding Claude Giroux. Adrian Dater, who covers the Colorado Avalanche, does a really good job out there, uh, put out a tweet last night and said the following, quote, I'm told that Claude Giroux has made it known to Flyers GM Chuck Fletcher that Colorado is where he wants to go. If somehow that doesn't work out, Minnesota or St. Louis would be acceptable alternatives. So I just mentioned Minnesota and St. Louis. Uh, Minnesota will be in town on March 3rd. St. Louis will be in town February 22nd. Um, will Claude Drew be a member of the Flyers, or will he be a member of the opposition, or is he headed to Colorado? This is, you know, obviously a lot of variables here. Colorado does not have a first-round pick. This will be more for prospects and NHL-ready players, I would think. Uh, but Joe Sackick, the general manager of the Colorado Avalanche, is a very patient man, and he has outweighed some tough situations in Colorado before. So we'll see how this develops. But again, Adrian Data really plugged in. Good reporter that, that color, covers the Colorado Avalanche says that Drew has made it known to Chuck Fletcher that Colorado is where he wants to go. So obviously he would waive his no movement clause. But if that doesn't work out, he'd go play in Minnesota where Billy Guerin's the general manager or in St. Louis where Craig Berube is the head coach. So uh, there are options there. You like to see that there's more than one team that he would consider uh, waiving is no move clause for because that gets teams pitted up against each other to try and 
make the deal and the best deal wins. So uh, we'll see how this plays out. It probably doesn't mean anything is imminent that's going to happen in the next 24 or 48 hours, but things are obviously heating up and uh, he's a big name out there on the trade bait list. So we'll see how that plays out uh, with Giroux. And uh, if he's headed to Colorado, what the return could look like. You know, Bill Keep, as mentioned on several occasions, Alex Newhook, they're not going to want to part with Newhook, but you have what they want that can help them now try and win a Stanley Cup. And Drew would fit beautifully on any of those teams. With Colorado, it's obvious the talent is there. They're a great team. Uh, Minnesota, another really good team. Could you see him playing with Kirill Kaprizov? That would be outrageous. And then obviously in St. Louis too, setting up a guy like Vladimir Tarasenko, reunited with Braden Shen and Craig Berube. Those three teams seem to fit the bill uh, if that's what he decides to do and wave a no-move clause and Chuck Fletcher can come to some kind of agreement. Now the Flyers in the pens tonight, Flyers taking on a Pittsburgh team that has been surging. It's unbelievable. We've talked about it, when it comes to the Penguins, the demise of the Penguins because they've traded so many assets, so many picks throughout these years. 17 years now, Sidney Crosby has been there. And you look at Pittsburgh, the third oldest team in the NHL at over 28 average age, 28 years of age average. The Flyers right now, seventh in the NHL at 28.13, Pittsburgh at 28.73. For example, the oldest team by average age in the NHL is the Islanders at 29. 0.40 average age, and then the Capitals there as well. But you know, I thought it was interesting when I was looking at this, the average age of NHL teams. And, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. You don't look at the teams at the top and go, well, the teams that are older are all good, or the, or the teams that are older are all not good. The good teams are sprinkled throughout. Like I mentioned, the Capitals and the Penguins, two and three for the highest average age. Number four on that list, the Tampa Bay Lightning, who just won back-to-back cups. And then you look at the Calgary Flames. They're at 28.22, and they're sixth in the NHL, the sixth oldest team. The Seattle Kraken, you'd think, well, they're a brand new team. How can they be old? Well, they are. They're right behind the Flyers at 28.04 average age. They don't have a lot of picks and prospects yet. That's probably part of the equation. And then you look at teams like Toronto, about middle of the pack, 11th in the NHL. Vegas, 13th. St. Louis, who we just mentioned, 16th in the NHL. Rod Brindamore's Carolina Hurricanes, 17th. Florida, the 22nd youngest team, uh, or the one of the younger teams in the NHL. You look at Buffalo, 25th, you know, seventh youngest team in the league. And then you look at the New York Rangers, the fourth youngest team in the league, having a great season. So there's no rhyme or reason. Uh, the average age of your team is no indicator of if you're good or if you're bad. It may indicate how long you can be good or, or, or those elements and how you replace it. But this, I've always had this notion that what the Penguins were doing with the way they were they're running their operation with keep getting guys in year after year and trading first-round picks, it's like a credit card. You go out, you go shopping, but eventually the credit card bill comes due, and it comes with interest, and it's painful. You got to pay it off, and it costs you more than you actually should have paid if you had paid cash. And when the credit card bill comes due, it's a tough day. The bill just hasn't come due for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They have found a way to weather it. Right now, they are sitting in the top spot in the Metropolitan Division. 49 games played, 68 points. Yeah, they're one point up on Carolina, who's played 46 games, so three less games. But 68 points right now, a record of 30-11-8. and 
They have suffered significant injuries this year and weathered that, including Crosby. They're 6-1-3 and in their last 10. They've won three straight, and they're taking on the Flyers tonight, who are the converse of that. The Flyers in the eighth spot, the bottom spot in the Metropolitan Division. 47 games played, 15-24-8. Flyers with 38 points, 30 points back of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Flyers have played two less games. Flyers 2-7-1 and in their last 10, and they've lost their last two, both of those against the Detroit Red Wings. And tonight could be a bit of, it could be a bit of history being made in Pittsburgh. Sidney Crosby, like I mentioned, has been in the NHL for now 17 seasons. He's played 1,076 regular season games. He has 499 goals, 870 assists, 1,369 points. This is not me gushing over Sidney Crosby, so calm down, people. This is just the facts. These are the numbers. 499 goals. He's not scored more against any other team in his career than the Philadelphia Flyers. Obviously a division opponent. He's played them quite a bit. He's played the Flyers 78 games throughout his career. And he's got 49 goals, 68 assists, 117 points, 33 power play goals. Just the numbers are staggering. Six game-winning goals. Over 20 minutes of ice time, and he's going to try and get a pretty big goal against the Flyers tonight in Pittsburgh to get his 500th and 50th against the Flyers. We'll see if he does it. He's been one of those guys that, against Philadelphia, that the rivalry stoked because of how well he has performed against the Flyers. And of course, some of the antics earlier in his career, which were obviously immature, but he's matured quite a bit. But he's been in the league now 17 years, and there's not one season on his stat line in those 17 years, in that 1,076 games, where he was not more than a point-per-game player. First year in the league, 102. Second year in the league in 79 games, 36 goals, 84 assists, 120 points. He's just been a monster. He's gone over the century mark six times in his career, and he's got 44 points this year in 37 games, so... You got to know when he's on the ice. Flyers and Penguins tonight in Pittsburgh at PPG Paints Arena. Now, one of the other things that we've been kind of discussing here on Flyers Daily quite a bit is, and I brought it up, I think it was in Sunday's episode, trying to figure out what is wrong with the Flyers. Answer that question. What is wrong? And because I'm of the belief that you cannot fix something unless you know what it is what's broken. You can't figure out how to fix it if you don't identify exactly what the issues are. And there's accountability and self-accountability and every stone in the organization needs to be overturned. I brought up the list that I had, whether it was injuries and re-injuries and a lack of grit and physicality and accountability to the opposition, a lack of progression in some of the younger core players where there's been regression over the last two years. Guys just not playing up to the ability that we thought they were headed towards and would be at at this point in their career. Some contract situations, systems, coaching. you got to look at all of it. So I put the question out there, and Bill and I talked about it in Monday's episode a little bit, but it's something that warrants further discussion. So I've been getting a lot of responses from people on social media, on Twitter, at Jason Mert, J-A-S-O-N-M-Y-R-T. You can tweet me, but mostly what people have been doing is DMing me. Because it's not just a 280-character answer. So I've gotten some great DMs 
So we're going to kind of tackle these over the next couple of weeks. And because I can't just blow through these quickly, uh, there's a lot here and a lot of detail. And the people that sent them in put a lot of work into it because we all want to identify what the problem is so we know what needs to be fixed. And that is the number one job of the organization before anything else begins this offseason. So the first one we're going to get to is uh, from at Trading Angry, T. Houston. Uh, he DM me. My DMs are open, so you can send it in. He says, what is wrong with the Flyers long? There's a lot here. And we're not going to go through all of it, but I'll get through some of it. Uh, the first thing he said is that they will never be innovative. They have a small fourth line like Byron. I'm not sure who Byron is, but all, all ELC line, etc. They always react to other teams. Uh, I don't that really wasn't their construction coming into this year. I mean, Nate Thompson's not a small guy. Uh, they brought in Zach McEwen, who's not a small guy. They had Nicholas Albay-Kubel, who was a good four-checker. So I don't know that I agree. I don't know about innovative. I'm not sure what you mean by they're not innovative. But um, these are your words. But uh, I just don't know that I agree with that without further explanation. He said, number two, nepotism. He said, all the hires are connected to the older brass in one form or another. This means their old school mentality permeates throughout every aspect of the team. New analytics hires this week are a step in the right direction, but I doubt their opinions will overrule any of the brass. Well, the analytics in the, the analytics department for the team has expanded quite a bit. And it's not there to overrule. What it's there to do is provide more data more information for consideration in anything that you do. It's not analytic, you know, people in professional sports organizations aren't coming in to, to push a decision. What they're doing is they're gathering the information and presenting it, not as a case to trade for somebody or get rid of somebody, but just to give more knowledge of what player you're looking at in all situations. It's part of the equation. You cannot build a team solely on analytics. And I do believe that you cannot build a team without using analytics at all. So um, as far as all hires are connected to the older brass in one form or another. See, I think that's total BS. Because was Chuck Fletcher connected to the old brass? I mean, he, did he know Bob Clark? Sure. Everybody in hockey knows everybody. His father was a GM a long time in the league, Cliff Fletcher. Was Elaine Vigneault, does he have any connection? No. Did Dave Haxtall have any connection? No. Did Peter Laviolette have any connection? No. Now, what you might be referring to is the presence of guys like Paul Holmgren and Bob Clark. They, they are in advisory roles now. Neither of them are president and, you know, 24-7 guys. They have, you know some guidance that they they put in there and that they talk to the hockey operations department about. But they also let the guys that are there to do the job, Chuck Fletcher, do his job. Bob Clark knows. Ed Snyder was once asked when Bob Clark was the general manager if, if he had to tell Bob Clark to do something. Somebody asked him that. Did you have to tell Bob Clark to trade blah, blah, blah? And he said... If I have to tell my general manager what to do, why the hell do I have a general manager? So that's the mentality. So this 
look, every NHL team, just look in all sports for the most part. Look in their front offices. Yeah, it's former players and people that are connected that are there in advisory and ambassador roles, sometimes in, in really big roles. And obviously, when Paul Holmgren was the GM, yeah, he was connected. He played here, coached here, all of those things. Bob Clark, same thing. But of late, I don't know that you can make that case. I don't know that you can say that they're all connected anymore. There's too many cases of people that have come in that are not connected. All right, and I'll read one more here from T. Houston at Trading Angry on Twitter. He said, number three, development is a failure. They overvalued defensive-only prospects and undervalue and fail to develop offensive-only prospects. Example, Sanheim was told to rein it in by Scott Gordon, and they never even tried to develop his power play game. Something I've actually talked about. I'd like to see him on the power play. He said, Ghost had his breakout year when he ignored Hack. Right now, Ratcliffe sees that Zmac just tries hard and hits people, and so why should he even put an ounce of focus on his offensive game? Haig was an offensive player at a lower level, but they rewarded him for his hitting. If you play the right way, you're handed opportunity. Issue is some offensive players rely on confidence and instinct, and if you constantly are after them to play mechanically in the defensive side of the puck, their offensive game dies. He said in Provorov's case, he had two successful seasons with Ghosts, including a 15 even strength goals one year, yet they killed his offensive game by trying to make him into a power play quarterback, which he clearly isn't. This killed his even strength game to where he didn't have a primary assist the entire year. He never needed a Niskanen or Ellis, yet hearing this form from management in the press, etc., certainly affected his confidence. He just needed a consistent partner, better than Braun, and to be off the power play entirely. So there's a lot in his point number three. First of all, it's very strange that you would think that Ghost had his breakout year when he ignored Hack. So you're telling me that a rookie in the NHL ignored his head coach in his first season in the NHL. Come on, man. You don't believe that. That's just silly. He was a dramatic player that season. He went on that heater. He caught lightning in a bottle. And he had a great year. Absolutely. You made the point that Robert Haig was a, an offensive player at a lower level, but they rewarded him for his hitting. And you said if you play, quote, the right way, you're handed opportunity. Now, Robert Haig, yeah, he was a guy that put up good offensive numbers prior to getting to the NHL, but not everybody that puts up good numbers in juniors puts up good numbers in the NHL. They just don't. I mean, Scott Lawton had monster numbers in the OHL for Oshawa. There's a lot of guys that score and they get to the NHL and they go, I mean, they've been scoring their whole lives at insane clips, but they get to the NHL and they're just not, they don't score at that level. So they have to develop other aspects of their game. If you recall with Scott Lawton, you know, the first round pick and a guy that had to go back to Lehigh for a year to really kind of reset his mind of what he's going to be at the NHL level. And he realizing he wasn't going to be a scorer. And he had to go down there and work on the elements of being a checking line center or winger in a bottom six role. That's hard for players when you've been taken in the first round and you scored in droves in junior. As far as the part about Provorov and saying he never needed a Niskanen or Ellis, yet after hearing this from management in the press, it affected his confidence. Well, if you're on a top pair in the NHL, you can't have to carry the guy next to you on too many occasions. Because the top line that you're being tasked with shutting down is very difficult. And you need to have a good partner 
Justin Braun, when Ryan Ellis first got hurt this season, moved up to that role at number one on the right side with Ivan Provorov and played really well for a period of time. But eventually, he's not a number one right side defenseman anymore, a top pairing guy. So eventually, that was exposed. Is that on Ivan Provorov that it was exposed? His game kind of went down too, but trying to carry a partner on a top pairing is really difficult. So when you say he never needed a Niskin or Ellis, but he needed a consistent partner better than Braun, okay, so who is that? Show me what that looks like. Is that a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen? Is he a top pairing guy? That's, That's one of the things that Flyer fans were freaking out about when they traded for him. He can't, be, he can't be a top-pairing guy. You need a guy that's going to be in the lineup. That's what you need. Niskanen retired. Got to get over it. Got to move on. Provorov had really struggled last year, as did the team defense. There was clearly a huge hole left when you didn't have a legit top-pairing right-side defenseman like Niskanen. Niskanen's not Bobby Orr. He's not Ray Bork. He's Matt Niskanen. That guy is a consistent partner that's better than Braun. And yeah, you need them because you cannot have a liability on a top pairing. Now, Ellis, when healthy, is a, is a really good top pairing, right side, right shot defenseman. Problem is, he's only played five games this year. And availability is what matters so much. It, if, it doesn't matter how good you are. It matters if you can get on the ice and affect the game. But uh, at Trading Angry, good job. Very, uh, very thorough. There's some questions I have from your submission, and I'll get to some other ones. Nick Roberts sent me a great one, and Paul sent a good one in, and Josh sent some good ones in. So we got some good ones that we're going to go through. And again, if you want to just DM them to me on Twitter, by all means, you can do that as well. Flyers Penguins tonight. Flyers going to try and prevent Crosby from getting his 500 NHL goal and also try and get a win out of PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh. We'll break it down tomorrow on a brand new Flyers Daily.